All right, everybody, I'm Logan Alec. I'm a CPA. Today, I want to talk about the S&P 500. You basically can't watch any financial media in the United States or even watch U.S.-based financial YouTube for very long without somebody mentioning the S&P 500. So I thought I'd make a, uh, a video here talking about what exactly the S&P 500 is and why you should care about it. First, in this video, I'm going to tell you what the S&P 500 is. Spoiler alert. It's a market index, but don't worry about exactly what that means because I'm going to explain it here in a minute. Then I'll talk about the ways that you can essentially add the S&P 500 to your investment portfolio, something that I've done myself. Next, I'll talk about other market indexes that are alternatives to the S&P 500 uh, and which you can also add to your portfolio. And at the end of the video, I'll go over the pros and cons of adding the S&P 500 to your investment mix and talk about who might want to add it and who might not. Okay, as I said, the S&P 500 is a market index, and that means it tracks the performance of a certain group of assets. In this case, those assets represent shares in a total of 500 American companies. The letters S&P used to stand for Standard & Poor's, which was the original name of the stock research company that started tracking the index back in the day. Now, uh, everything's still branded as S&P, right? Doesn't really technically mean Standard & Poor's anymore. It's just S&P. Um, the specific list of companies in the S&P 500 index changes over time, but it's always going to include some of the largest businesses in the United States. If you look at the included companies right now, you'll see at the top of the list there are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, um, Alphabet, which is Google, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Berkshire Hathaway Tesla, etc. Now, the S&P 500 is one of a few different market indexes. The other major one you'll hear about is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, usually just called the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones is only 30 companies. These are massive corporations, right? Coca-Cola, Apple, Walmart. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's the CRSP U.S. Total Markets Index, which includes nearly 4,000 U.S. stocks. It covers close to 100% of the entire U.S. stock market. And there are dozens of other indexes for international stocks or specific industries and many others. Originally, the stock indexes were just for informational purposes, right? A single number, like a, like a score, basically, to give an indication of how the overall stock market was doing. But starting in the 1970s, some investors had the idea to build funds of stocks to try to approximate the performance of the indexes. So now anyone can essentially invest in the S&P 500 through investments called index funds. These funds buy and sell stocks in an effort to track the performance of the S&P 500 index. The idea is that your investment will closely mirror the performance of the stock price of those 500 different companies. So that makes it a really easy way to diversify your portfolio without actually having to learn about each of those businesses in much detail. And the index is weighted based on the size of each of those companies that make it up. So Apple and Microsoft each make up more than 5% of the holdings of the S&P 500, while smaller companies only make up a fraction of a percentage point of that pie. The tracking funds do the same. Overall, the S&P 500 does a really good job uh, of mirroring the performance of the broader market, and the market has historically done well when you track it over long periods of time. Of course, there's no such thing as a sure investment when it comes to stocks, but in general, it's safer to buy into a wide range of stocks so that no one single company can tank your portfolio. On the other hand, you're not necessarily going to see the massive gains you might see if you bet big on a single stock. Now, the S&P 500 is just one of many market indexes that you can trade through a particular fund. It's important to remember that the S&P 500 doesn't cover every stock right? Uh, it only covers U.S. stocks and mostly the larger ones. These bigger companies comprise a disproportionately large amount of the total market. So S&P 500 and S&P 500 tracking fund funds include about 80% of, of the available market cap in the United States. But you are missing out on that last 20%, which are mid-sized and smaller companies that are not in the index. Later in this video, I'll talk to you about alternatives to investing in index funds that track the S&P 500. But for now, let's talk about some specific S&P 500 tracking funds that you can invest in. The first fund, 
fund I want to highlight is the uh, SPDR S&P 500 ETF Trust. Some people call this one the Spider Fund, uh, but it's tracked under the ticker SPY. Uh, Spider originally stood for Standard and Poor's Depository Receipt. As I said, Standard and Poor's is the S&P and the S&P 500. This was actually the first ETF available in the U.S. when it was listed in 1993. It comes with an expense ratio of 0.09%, which means that you'll essentially pay an annual fee of roughly $0.09 cents for every $100 that you have in your account each year. As I've explained in other videos, this fee isn't a fee that you'll see taken out of your account, it's reflected in the value of your shares. Now, one thing to note is that SPY is an ETF or exchange traded fund rather than a new, rather than a mutual fund. These are more similar than they are different. But one advantage of an ETF is that it can be traded during the day like a normal stock as opposed to a mutual fund, where if you put an order uh, in during market hours, it will basically execute at the end of the day at the closing price of the index. Now, I don't think that's going to matter to most of you. This is more of a long-term investment anyways, as opposed to something you would buy and sell throughout the day. But this is something to be aware of with an S&P 500 ETF versus an S&P 500 mutual fund. Another popular way to invest in the S&P 500 is the VOO fund from Vanguard. Personally, I have a lot of VOO in my brokerage account through M1 Finance. I've done a review of M1 Finance here on the channel. There's a link to that review at the top of the screen, as well as in the description below. Just like SPDR, VOO is a fund that tracks the S&P 500 index. So there shouldn't be any major gaps in your returns, whether you invest in SPY or VOO, but there are a few differences worth mentioning when it comes to these two funds. The first one is that SPY has a net expense ratio of 0.09%, but VOO only charges 0.03%, which is one third of the SPY expense ratio. On one hand, that's only a fraction of a percentage point. To be more specific, uh, there's a gap of 0.06%, in other words, six cents per year on each $100 you have invested. But on the other hand, even a difference like that will add up over time, especially if you have a large portfolio. So let's say you have $10,000 to invest. That's going to be a difference of $6 per year. Still not a fortune, but a little more significant. And VOO also comes with a slightly higher dividend yield at 1.34% compared to the 1.30% you'll get with SPY. Again, that's only a minor difference. The disadvantage of VOO is that it gets less than 10% of the trading volume that SPY gets, which might make uh, SPY slightly easier to buy and sell at optimal prices. Uh, and if you're into some more advanced trading uh, strategies like selling cash secured puts, then the SPY um, is a better option for that. But again, for long-term investors, there's really not much of a difference between these two funds. This is not investment advice, but I personally like Vanguard's fund, so I personally go with VOO. But I wouldn't spend much time worrying about this either, because either way, you're going to get very similar returns over time. Finally, the last S&P 500 fund I want to talk about is IVV. That's the iShares Core S&P 500 ETF. It has an extremely competitive expense ratio at just 300th of 1%, the same as VOO and significantly less than SPY. With that being said, IVV also has a substantially lower dividend yield than either of those two funds at 1.28%. All these figures come from Yahoo Finance. Again, these differences don't even amount to one-tenth of 1%, and SPY has actually generated the best return so far in 2021, despite having a higher expense ratio than either of the other two funds I've mentioned. Like I said, there are some differences between these funds, but personally, I just think of them as three different ways to invest in the S&P 500. So I wouldn't lose any sleep over having one of these over the others. The important thing is to just start investing in one of them so you can start compounding those returns if you think investing in an S&P 500 index fund is right for you. All right, so those are a few of the most practical options when it comes to investing in an S&P 500 tracker fund, but you might be wondering if investing in a fund that tracks this index is the right choice for you at all, especially compared to funds that 
track some of the other indexes we mentioned earlier. So let's talk about some alternatives to S&P 500 tracking funds that you might want to invest in. The first alternative is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund ETF, symbol VTI. As the name suggests, this is designed to cover the entire market. Specifically, it tracks the CRSP US Total Market Index, which as I mentioned previously, includes nearly 4,000 companies. That's eight times as many as the S&P 500. Sounds like there'd be a lot of difference between those two, but there's really not in terms of performance. Those other 3,500 companies are mostly smaller ones. By total value, the S&P 500 does cover 80% of the market. So the CRSP is only covering that missing 20%. In most cases, uh, good years for the S&P 500 are going to be good years for the CR CRSP, and the same is true in reverse. Ultimately, the, the difference between those two is whether you would rather just focus on larger companies or get more exposure to companies of all sizes. Another alternative you might be interested in is to invest in tracking funds for non-US indexes. While there are a small number of businesses in the S&P 500 that are headquartered outside the United States, the vast majority of those 500 companies are based here in the US. One way to diversify your portfolio is to invest in companies that are headquartered in other countries. The Vanguard VXUS fund, for example, uh, tracks the FTSE Global All Cap XUS Index, which basically covers the entire global investment market, except for companies based in the US. You can also find more targeted funds that track to indexes for specific countries or industries. Okay, hopefully that gave you an idea of some of the alternatives to funds that track the S&P 500. Obviously, I can't cover every other index you could invest in, but those are some of the more popular indexes in my experience, and I think they're all at least relatively safe compared uh, to the riskier move of putting all your money in a single stock or other asset. So if you're interested in investing in an S&P 500 tracking fund or another index fund, I would start by checking with your brokerage. Regardless of who you trade with, they should offer at least one fund for the S&P 500, and most brokers should give you multiple options. If you're new to investing, then pick whatever brokerage or app looks right for you, whether that's standard Acorns, Robinhood, M1 Finance, etc. I reviewed all these platforms right here on the channel. Links to all those reviews are in the description below. All those platforms support index funds that track the S&P 500, so it's really about which one you like using the best. The only thing to watch out for is that the S&P 500 ETF shares typically trade for $100 each. For example, uh, VOO uh, and SPY, they're both over $400, so unless you find a broker with fractional shares of those, uh, you'll need to have over $400 to invest in those funds. Now, most platforms these days offer fractional share trading, so so you could get in for less. I personally use M1 Finance to do my index fund investing. As I mentioned, there's a link to my M1 Finance review in the description below. Before I wrap up this video, I want to talk about the pros and cons of investing in S&P 500 trackers, starting with the pros. The pro number one is how easy these funds make it to diversify your portfolio. When your investment is essentially spread over 500 different companies, you can't take much of a hit from any one company's bad performance. Now, it used to be that investing in so many different companies would be extremely complicated and costly for the average retail investor. But now you can just download an app, create an account with any of the top brokers and invest in, well, essentially invest in 500 different stocks in literally less than 10 minutes. The second advantage of the S&P 500 is that the market has generated pretty reliable results, at least over long periods of time. That's not to say that the index will always go up. Of course, there are going to be years where the economy slows down. Ultimately, an investment in this index is a bet on the market as a whole or at least on 80% uh, of the market as a whole. But history shows that that's generally a pretty good bet as long as you have time to wait out some of these short-term fluctuations. Let's say you bought SPY at the beginning of 2008 before the market crashed. You would feel terrible after losing almost half of your investment within the first two years. But if you continued holding on, your investment would still have tripled its value 
and then some by now. So obviously there's no such thing as a sure thing when it comes to investing, but the S&P 500 is about as close as you can get in the stock market if you're looking at it as a long-term investment. Finally, the third advantage of the S&P 500 compared to some other indexes is that ETFs and mutual funds that track it tend to have relatively low expense ratios. ETFs are almost always going to come with some level of expenses. That's how they make money on these funds. So in general, the only way to avoid expenses entirely would be to invest in stocks directly and that's going to be costly, uh, maybe not costly, but at least complicated and more time-consuming than investing in an index. But when you look at other ETFs, particularly actively managed ETFs that do more than simply track an index, you'll see that those funds tend to charge much more in fees. For example, take the um, ARK Innovation ETF. That's a pretty popular fund. Again, it's actively managed uh, by Kathy Wood uh, and her team, which means they are choosing the assets they want to invest in rather than just tracking an index. But the downside of a fund like that is that you'll end up paying much more to invest in it. The ARK Innovation ETF expense ratio is three quarters of a percentage point. That's still less than 1%, but it's still a full 25 times higher than the fees we saw with the Vanguard uh, or the iShares S&P 500 ETF. So you would have to be really confident um, in Kathy's investment strategy in order to take that expense ratio. Personally, I would lean toward minimizing my expenses and just trusting the market to perform well over time. All right, now I want to move on to the disadvantages of the S&P 500. The first one is that this index doesn't track the performance of any small or even mid-cap companies. It's, it's, it's entirely focused on 500 of the largest businesses in the U.S. Now, those large companies can do really well at particular times. I mean, you know, look at Tesla. Um, there were periods during the pandemic when the S&P 500 did substantially better than funds that focused on smaller companies. But this is still something to be aware of if you're thinking about putting uh, some money into this index. And keep in mind that you can still get the companies from the S&P 500 through funds like uh, Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund ETF that tracks the massive CRSP U.S. Total Markets Index. But again, the S&P 500 itself will make up only about 80% of a total market index because of how much value is concentrated within those 500 companies. Uh, second downside of the S&P 500 is that it doesn't come with much exposure to companies based outside the U.S. As I said earlier, there are some uh, companies headquartered overseas on the list, but they make up a relatively small percentage of the total index. So if the U.S. economy pulls back, uh, but let's say there's a lot of growth in another region like uh, you know Europe or or China or some you know emerging market, while the S&P 500 might lag behind funds that include companies from those other markets. Of course, the flip side is that those other funds will dilute your investment in American companies. So in cases where the U.S. economy is doing well, obviously it would be better to have funds that include more American companies. So I can't tell you how the American market is going to perform in the future relative to the foreign market, um, but one potential drawback to the S&P 500 is that you won't have as much invested in assets in other countries. Finally, the third major downside of investing in a fund that tracks the S&P 500 is that it's capitalization weighted, meaning that the larger companies in the index like Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, etc. make up more of the index. So if you invest $100 into an S&P 500 index fund ETF, more of that $100 will track the performance of Apple and Microsoft and a much smaller portion of that $100 will track the performance of the smaller companies in the S&P 500 index. Um, there are funds like the Invesco S&P 500 Equal Weight ETF that equal weight the S&P 500, meaning that if you put $100 into one of these, uh, into this fund, then all the companies in the index will drive the performance of your investment equally. Maybe I'll talk about those in a different video. All right, that covers the main pros and cons of S&P 500 tracking funds relative to other funds and assets you might th be thinking about investing in. So at this point, you're probably wondering whether this makes sense for you or whether you should be looking at other options to invest in. As with any investment, the answer to that is going to be it depends. So I'm going to quickly go through two types of people for whom tracking the S&P 500 may be a good fit for, plus two other types of people uh, who might be better off with another investment. 
First type of person who's going to be a good fit for an S&P 500 tracker is someone who wants something simple to invest in for the long term, particularly for a retirement fund that's going to grow over years and decades instead of just looking to cash out in months or weeks. Again, the S&P 500 isn't going to save you from bad months. In fact, it's not even going to be able to save you from bad years. But when you look at the overall track record, you can see a lot of reliability in this index over long periods of time. So, you know, if you're 20, uh, 30, and you're looking for a way to put away some money for decades into the future, you can feel pretty pretty confident that you're going to end up with more than you started with if you invest in S&P 500 index fund. The second type of person who should consider S&P 500 tracking funds is someone who's American or is at least planning to retire in the United States. Now, I said earlier, one downside to this index is that it's heavily weighted toward American companies. But if you're living or retiring in the United States, then that might not be such a bad thing. For example, if the U.S. does really well over the next 20 years, let's say the standard of living uh, you know, goes way up, well, that's most likely going to be reflected in the value of the S&P 500. And even if the market crashes or if there are problems in the American economy, well, you're not going to be that much worse off than the rest of us who are living here. On the other hand, it can be a lot more tricky if you're living in one place and putting your money into another market. Imagine you're living in the UK and your portfolio is tied to the performance of the S&P 500. Well, if the American economy tanks and the British market is still healthy, you're going to be in a tough situation. So personally, uh, I feel more confident being invested in the American market as someone who lives here and is planning to stay here than I might feel if I was in another country. All right, now let's move on to people uh, who might not be as well suited to S&P 500 tracking funds. First group I want to highlight is short-term investors. All right, the S&P 500 is pretty reliable when you look at long periods of time, but it can't, you can't expect it to do much on a shorter time horizon. One problem people run into with these index funds is that they put their money in, Maybe there's a crash shortly thereafter, and their first instinct is to pull their investment out to avoid losing any more. Unfortunately, this is something that happened to a lot of people, right? Uh, after the dot-com boom, after the crash in 08, the coronavirus crash, right? They saw their portfolio drop by 10, 20, a couple of instances, 30, 40%. They decided to pull it out instead of risking any more losses. The problem with that strategy is that you end up selling at the worst possible time, and you miss out on all the gains that happen when the market returns to normal. So if you're using money that you might need in the near future, Future, or if you're not sure that you can hold through the ups and downs, I might caution against something like an S&P 500 tracking fund that is truly better suited for long-term investment. The second kind of person that might want to look at other options is someone who wants exposure to the kinds of assets that aren't included in the S&P 500. Two main concerns here are going to be smaller companies, like I mentioned, and companies that are based overseas, right? So again, that's something to be aware of. Um, you might also be interested in companies from specific industries. And in that case, you're going to be better off with an ETF that covers a particular field instead of tracking a broad index like the S&P 500. You can find ETFs for everything from uh, semiconductors and tech to energy and oil to, you know, consumer goods. And obviously those are going to give you more targeted returns based on the performance of companies in specific industries. So an S&P 500 tracker is more of a jack of all trades. It's a good basic option for people who just want, you know, the biggest some of the biggest US companies, but you might want to go take a deeper dive into some of these alternatives if you're looking for something more specific. All right, folks, that is the S&P 500 in a nutshell. Hopefully I was able to clear up some of the questions you might have about the S&P 500 and help you determine whether an S&P 500 index fund like VOO or SPY is a good investment for you. Ultimately, it's a really straightforward way to get into the market. It offers excellent uh, diversification. And as I mentioned earlier, this index has been quite consistent over long periods of time compared to investments that might be more risky. If you want to know more about my personal approach to investing in finances and budgeting and all that stuff, be sure to check out my Prosper course. There's a link with the coupon code to that course in the description 
description below. And if you want to check out other investing related videos right here on the channel, be sure to check out my video right here after uh, in which I review the Motley Fool stock picker service after having used it for some time. Also be sure to check out my video on the stock market apps giving away free stocks right now. That video is right down here and I'll see you in those videos folks. Bye-bye.